Well, I have, how many of you have a dog? Or uh, Let me see if you have a dog. Okay, you guys are the best. No offense to cat people, but you guys are the best. Um, my dog loves these treats. He loves them. And every time that I go in to get my dog or I ask my dog to do something, she hears this noise. You ever hear that? Now, are you, aren't you, are you salivating right now over this? I can smell it, and I'm not. <laughs> but our dogs, when they hear that, my dog at least, she's like, like she loses her mind. And this morning, I, I forgot these, and so I had to go back home and get them. And I felt horrible because I walked in, I grabbed it, and I started to leave. I'm like, not only am I taking, not only are you hearing it thinking you're going to get one, I'm leaving with them, right? Like, that's horrible. What a horrible person I am. And so I grabbed him, and I'm like, I can't do that. So just so you know that I have a heart, I made her do her tricks. I made her sit, stay, down, shake, and I gave her treats, and then I left and took it, right? I made her do work, and then I took it. That's even worse, isn't it? Um, But when she hears this, she's like, oh, man, why? Because she has a certain set of beliefs about that sound. She hears it, and she's like, oh, there's something good about to happen. What do I need to do, right? What do I need to do? And so she hears the sound. She has a belief system. She responds based on that belief system, and she gets excited about that. Now, I don't know about you, but you and I have a certain set of belief systems about a certain sound. Do you know what? What's that? Oh, that, okay, turn that off. Turn. Amy's down here going like, shut. Amy, she's like got muscle memory down here. She's hitting the snooze button already. The alarm clock goes off. Now, we probably don't start salivating, do we? Like, get out and start drooling. Oh, man, it's time to go to work. No, the alarm clock goes off, and what do we do? Ugh, I got to go to work. I got to get up. I have, to go, I have to go into this place, and I got to deal with that person or this person. And, and 24 hours from now, you're going to feel the effect of Monday. And you're going to wish that you had a different approach. You're going to, what if that sound, what if we could be as excited about that sound as my dog is about this sound? Wouldn't that be awesome? Well, that's our plan today is to look at our work from a different approach. Look at our job from a different approach so that when the alarm goes off, we can respond like, yes, it's time to go to work. It's time to get up and and do what God has called me to do or what God's asked me to do. It's time to use my talents for him. Probably the reason that we respond to that noise the way we do is because of the way we view our world and the way we view our jobs. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all, all, can you say that with me? All, okay, that was, you don't really believe this, do you? All right, let's try it again. Do it all for the glory of God. Doing it all for the glory of God. The reason that we struggle when the alarm clock goes off is probably because we don't see our job in light of the way God sees our job. And I'm going to get deep real quick, and it'll make sense on the other side of this, so I'm going to ask you just to strap in. I'm going to go deep for a few minutes. 
And then we'll come back up a little more shallow. But the reason that you don't salivate when that alarm goes off is probably because your worldview doesn't align with God's worldview. The way you view the world, and every single person in this room has a worldview. You have a view of the way you think the world is, the way the world should be, etc. And because the world, as you know it, doesn't align to your view, you get frustrated, upset, and you hit the snooze, and I don't want to go to work, and I don't want to do that. Right? The alarm went off this morning. I said, honey, I don't want to get up. I don't want to go. And she said, honey, you have to go. You're the pastor. I'm like, yeah, but she's like, no, you have to be there. I'm like, okay. And so when we start talking about worldview, most people inherently, because we're taught this in school, we're taught this in the media, most of us have a naturalist, what's known as a naturalist worldview, not a Christian worldview. Let me explain a naturalist worldview. Will you put that uh, bullseye on the screen here? So at the core of us, we all, we all have a way in which we see the world. Right? It's called the world view. You might learn it in philosophy class. You might learn it in psychology. You might learn it whatever. You, you've all been trained to have a certain view of the world. And to you, that view is real. That is real. Okay? We went, I went, took my oldest to Shedd Aquarium on Friday. We had some father-son time. And so here's something that I learned about whales. Whales cannot see blue. The water is blue. But whales can't see blue. So as a result, whales see black. And they swim in black. And everything is in relationship to the color black. Isn't that interesting? So their view of water and my view of water are different. But to them, the water is black and it's real. To me, it's blue and that is real. And so your worldview is what's real to you. Now, at the core then, as we move out, what happens? And if you have a naturalistic worldview, a naturalistic worldview simply says, this is all there is. This is it. This is life. And then I die, and then whatever happens after I die happens. Whether it's heaven, hell, uh, nirvana, whatever it is, it's, it's, it's there. But inherently, all of us have a worldview, and that worldview impacts how we parent, impacts how we go to our jobs, because that's how we view the world. And we take that with us. So what happens then? Well, then our beliefs are based on our worldview, and we say, well, that must be true. So if I'm a naturalist, I believe that this is all there is. That's my belief. That's my belief system. That's all there is. And then moving on, then because of that, then I value, I value safety, comfort, speed. I'm just taking too long at McDonald's in the drive-thru. Hurry up. This is my worldview. These are the things that I value because of my beliefs, which are predicated on my worldview. And then those values impact what we do or our behaviors. We, our values are what we see as good. It's good if, if this would hurry up. Do you know, like 75 years ago, 75 years ago, if I would have said, hey, you can have your dinner in five minutes, all you gotta do is put it in a microwave, push the buttons, they'd look at me like I'm nuts. No, it's got to bake for 45 minutes, right? Now, we can't even get the microwave to cook fast enough. We stand there for five minutes staring in there. Come on. Come on. 
Okay, I know what I'll do. I'll run to the bathroom real quick and come back. I still got a minute. Like, we can't cook food fast enough. We want it now. Right? It's got to be now. Naturalist world view. This is all there is. I got to provide comfort, safety, etc. I got to get it right now. I got to get mine. Naturalist worldview is at our core. Well, how does that compare to a Christian's worldview or how a Christian should view the world? Because this impacts your work. This impacts how you respond at work. A Christian's worldview believes that at the core, the Bible is true, that creation was good, creation fell, Jesus came to redeem mankind to himself and is one day going to return and set the world straight. And those of us that follow Christ, the Bible says that we, when he comes and sets up his new government and controls the planet, those of us that have followed Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus will one day rule and reign with Jesus in his new kingdom. You will be given a seat of power and authority in his kingdom. That's the Christian worldview. The Christian worldview says, I am just a part of a bigger story. And my job is to do my part and play that out. So if that's, if that's my view of the world, then basically what it says then, and it says that, go back, go back to that slide. Back to the bullseye slide. That's my worldview. I believe that. To me, that's what's true. And so as a result, I value things like love, patience, joy, peace, faith, trust. I value those over comfort, safety, speed, etc. And so because I value these, I'm going to behave in a loving way. I'm going to behave in a respectful way. I'm going to behave in a way that is truthful and honest, etc. You see the difference? Is it, does that make sense? That, that if this is all there is, then I have to get mine right now. But if I'm part of a bigger story, and this is true, and this is my view of the world, then I behave and act, and my values are different. Now, some of you are taking pictures of this. That's probably pretty smart. You can go back and think about that. And there's so much more to that. But all of us have a worldview in the way in which we view the world. Right? And so... The Christian worldview sees itself playing out in a bigger story. So when we go to work, that worldview impacts how we do our job. That worldview impacts how we treat our fellow employees. Isn't it funny that when you get trained on a new job, they tell you how you're supposed to treat one another? Does anybody find that interesting? Does that concern anybody else? Like, when you get on a new job and they're like, okay, now we want, you know, we're a company that values integrity and honesty. I'm like, shouldn't that just be, because my worldview says that's just part of who I am. I, I, I just, re- you don't have to train me in that. The reason they got to train you in that is because that's not most people's worldview. They'll lie, cheat, and do whatever they can to get ahead. But as a Christian, that's just, you don't have to train me on this. Now, some of this I'm better at than other things, but I'm working, in, I'm working through it. That's a part of my spiritual development and spiritual growth. So last week when we talked about the problem with work, we talked about two things. We said, one, we tend to go work for ourselves and our, and our families and so on, and we go to work, and what that does is that creates an individualistic viewpoint 
that puts my family as the idol or myself as the idol, and what do I do? I have to get mine. I have to work, and 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 I have to work, because I got to get mine, because nobody else is going to give it to me, and so I have to go get mine, and I have to go get it for my family, and I better go get it, because nobody, and what are you doing? You're looking to yourself as the resource versus God, and so what happens? Well, you're putting yourself as the idol, right? And we talked about that last week. We said the, the very first of all the Ten Commandments is, have no other gods before me. No other gods. Why would that be number one? Because that's the most easiest thing we do. Job becomes number one. Family, I'm working for my family. Well, then you've idolized your family over God. And so, and I know for a lot of you, this is a huge paradigm shift for a lot of you. This is a huge new way in thinking about work. The other thing we talked about is we, we work for our groups, right? Well, my group's better than your group, and I'm working for this group of people, and we put out a better product than they do, and what happens? Well, then that becomes snobbery and, and self-conceit, and we talked about things that come out of that as a result, right? Racism comes out of that. Colonialism comes out of that. Socialism comes out of that. All of these isms come out of that. I'm working for the bigger group. So today what we're going to talk about is how do I approach my job with my world, with a Christian worldview, how do I change my approach to work in light of a bigger story that I'm a part of, that I get to be a part of? Because the Bible tells us in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. You know what what he just said? Your boss isn't your boss. Now, don't go to work tomorrow and tell your boss you're not my boss. (laughs) Don't do that. What he's saying is, is he's saying that your boss is God. Your boss is Jesus. And one day you will stand accountable for how you behaved and worked on your job as a Christian. You report to God, Right? And if, for whatever reason, you get let go or you don't get a promotion you thought you were supposed to get or your review doesn't come back the way you thought it was going to come back, all right, God, what's going on? Talk to me, Jesus. In fact, even in that moment, sitting in the cubicle or the office with your boss, you might want to start praying to Jesus right then so you don't say things that you shouldn't, right? That God is your boss. You work for God and trust him with the results, Trust him with the grander, bigger story of your life. The Bible says that God is the author and the finisher of your faith. You know what an author does? That was a really simple question. Let's see if you guys tell me, what does an author do? Writes. They write. They write what? A story. Even the junior high guys got it down here. The guys and gals in junior high got it. An author writes a story. So if the Bible says that God is the author and the finisher of your faith and of your life. God's writing a story with your life. And so if the review doesn't go the way you thought, trust the author of your story. Go, okay, I don't understand what's happening right now in my story, but I'm only on this page, and I know there's, I'm not even halfway through the book of my life. Right? God is your boss. Now look, as God is our boss, then work, I got news for you, work was his idea. Genesis, look, at, look with me at Genesis. It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And rule over the fish 
of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, this is before sin and the fall of man entered the world. Work was a part of God's plan from the get-go. He said what? He said, subdue the earth. The word subdue is the Hebrew word kavash. Kavash. It means literally to make subservient, to control, or to make whatever that thing is serve you. So he told Adam and Eve from the get-go, you're going to have to work this earth, and I want you to make this planet serve you. Make this planet serve you, not you serve the planet. Oh, snap. Are we getting stuff out of whack or what? Now, the problem becomes when we make this earth serve us, when we force this earth and all of the goodness that God has gave us in this earth with the plants and the animals, right? And, uh, do, do you know that most medications, I have family that work at Eli Lilly and they work in, the, in some of the labs and development. And they said that most of even the drugs that they develop, still the ingredients come from plants. Or they figured out how to synthetically make that ingredient from that plant. Making the earth serve us and our needs. The issue is, is that we see our needs as selfishly. What can I get out of it? What can my family get out of it? What can our group do to control it? Right? And so sin enters the work. Instead of, how would God want us to do this? How would God have us to control this? How would God have us cause the earth to serve us? The farmers do it every year when they plant and reap the harvest. They cause the earth to produce food to keep people fed or to keep, the, or keep livestock fed so that we can eat, right? I had some great, I went to a steakhouse last night and had some great livestock, right? I mean, God says make the earth serve you. Serve you in, in, in what? In light of what? In light of what? God would have the earth to do, not in light of what we would want the earth to do for us. And there becomes the problem. There becomes the issue. It's not like we suddenly split the atom and God went, oh my gosh, I didn't see that coming. God knew we were going to split an atom. But was it his plan to split the atom to wipe out thousands and thousands of people? I don't believe so. Is there positives from splitting the atom? Are there things we can learn from that? Yes, absolutely. And so when we look at our jobs, I just want to go through some jobs. Because what we have to begin to see is we have to begin to see that our jobs and what we do are inherently characteristics of God. In the plant, working in the planet. So let's, let's just take an obvious, let's take an obvious example. And then, then I'll start getting a little more maybe what might be a little more complicated for us to see the hand of God in a career or in a job. A police officer, what's a police officer do? Police officer provides safety, enforces the law. They keep me safe. The only reason I don't speed ridiculously on the interstate is because I'm afraid there's an unmarked car sitting somewhere. If it wasn't for that, I promise you, I would drive almost every place, everywhere in triple digits. I would. I just would. I looked down the other day, I was going over 90, coming back from Chicago, and I'm like, oh, that's not good, I probably shouldn't be doing that. And I had already passed two state troopers. Like, that wasn't warning enough. 
Now, if you're a state trooper in here, don't write me a ticket, right? But they keep, they keep us safe, and sometimes they keep us safe from our own selves, even when we don't want it or don't like it, right? Well, that's, that God is our provider. According to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3, 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 3, 3, God cares for our safety. And so if you're a police officer and you're providing safety for the public, you are enacting a characteristic of God in the planet that he created. God's working through you. Okay, how about another? Let's just go with another uh, obvious one. If you're an EMT or a nurse or a doctor, right? What's the, I hope I'm going to say this right. It's a big word. The Hippocratical Oath, right? First, do no harm. You take that oath as a doctor, right? You're healing. You're bringing healing to the body the best that we know how and what we understand at the moment. Well, Jeremiah 30, verse 17 says that God is our healer. You're bringing a characteristic of God, a value of God, into the creation that he started. It's all in how you approach your work. Okay, let's, let's say that you're an engineer. And let's just say... I'm sorry that this example came to mind. It is somebody specific, but you came to mind as I was preparing my sermon. Let's say you design intersections, okay? And your job is to design intersections, and you do that. How in the world is that bringing a characteristic of God into our planet? God, the Bible tells us, in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, God brings order to chaos. If we didn't have intersections... I'm one of them. I would be a big creator of chaos because I would come up and do what I want to do and I wouldn't follow the rules. If you design intersections, you're bringing order to chaos. That is a characteristic of God. If you're, okay, let's go a little bit further. What if you're a cashier? And what if you're a cashier at a gas station? How in the world am I doing God in this? Do you smile? Do you encourage people in their day? Do you... Do you deal honestly when you give out change? Are, you know, if you have to give change, are you being honest in how you deal with people? You're bringing a characteristic of God to a career to what? To cause the earth and all of creation to come into alignment with the characteristics and the nature of God. How about another one? You sell insurance. You sell insurance. And I know we got a few of those here, Right? What are you doing selling insurance? You're providing protection from loss. Or actually what you're doing is you're redeem, trying best to your ability to redeem what was lost. You're trying to redeem what was lost. Isn't that a characteristic of God? I mean, isn't that what the whole Bible is about, is redeeming what was lost with Jesus? Right? Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 3 through 13, that God redeems what was lost it's a characteristic of God. Let's say, I know we've got some of these people here as well. What about road construction? You work on a road crew, right? And you just fix the roads. Well, let me ask you something. Are you not restoring what's busted? Because I got a few streets, by the way. Would you come see me after church? I got some potholes, right? You're restoring what was lost. You're providing safer roads. Deuteronomy 31, 7 through 8. I'm sorry, no, that's, that's for the next one. Deuteronomy 30, 3 through 13 is the same thing. You're, you're, you're restoring, you're redeeming the roads, you're making it safer. Isn't that what God does for us? 
in our life. He redeems us, pulls us out of the junk that we're in. Okay, let's say this, and this is going to be my last example. All right, let's say you're in marketing. How in the world is marketing a characteristic of God? Are you not educating people on the benefits of the safety you provide, the medicine you provide that heals, etc.? Deuteronomy 31, verses 7 through 8. Deuteronomy 31, 7 through 8. If you are... If you are trying to show people how your product can improve their life, sustain their life, make their life better, is that not a characteristic of God is trying to sustain our life and and make our life better? What we have to do is we have to change our thought process about our jobs. Because part of working the way God designed it is that we would introduce and bring his character with our skill set. Now, of course, I can't stand up here and go through every career and every job. But if you're working for the town and you're providing, you know, you're fixing things in town, making sure that it's operating right so that it can maintain order. Like I said, God is a God of order. You're bringing the characteristic of God. If you're teaching kids, if you're, if you're a teacher and educating, wasn't Jesus the master teacher? Aren't you doing what Jesus did? Showing them about history, teaching them about math, and yeah, it may not be their favorite subject, and yes, it might be difficult, but aren't you bringing the characteristic of God so that when the alarm clock goes off, today is the day that I get to introduce the character of God to people that know nothing about God. That's, that's got to be our approach. That's got to be how we approach our jobs. And all of these attributes of God, I don't care what career you're in, you're likely introducing the characteristic of God into his creation. It's all in here. It's all in here. In the book of Esther, the king, I'm just going to give you the quick story, and then I'm going to share share with you a fun fact about Queen Esther. My wife loves it when I go, hey, fun fact for you. She's like, oh. I said, you know flies always buzz in the key of F? Now, some of you, that will be the only thing that you remember from this sermon, right? Flies buzz in the key of F. But, but, Esther is a Jew, and the king does what kings do back in the day. Now, please don't throw tomatoes at me. But he had his wife killed because she didn't please him. And he's like, okay, off with her head. And so he did that. And now he's like, well, now i got to have a queen. So he basically holds a beauty pageant and says, okay, bring me the most beautiful women in the land. This almost sounds like Disney thing, doesn't it? Like, bring me all the beautiful women in the land. And so Esther comes. And he chooses Esther. Man, I am so shortening this. You need to go and read the book of Esther. Esther, he, he falls in love with Esther. And so he marries Esther, and she becomes queen. Well, he has a servant. The servant says, you know what we need to do, king? You know what part of your problem in your kingdom is? It's all these Jews. It's all these Jewish people out here. They're messing up your kingdom. We need to kill all the Jews in the kingdom. And the king almost goes down that road. But Esther goes to her uncle at night and and starts talking about this, and her uncle tells her, he goes, you know, if, if your husband, the king, goes down this road, it won't take long for him to figure out you're a Jew. 
and you saw what he did to his first wife, don't think you'll be safe from this. And then her uncle tells her something that we still say today. Maybe you were born for such a time as this. Maybe this is your moment, right? Maybe this is your time. And I say to you this morning, maybe this is your time. Maybe there's a reason you were born and and you're here in 2019 and not 1819 or 2119. And so he tells his niece, you were born for such a time as this. And what does she say? She goes, I will go to the king and I will tell him, and if I perish, I perish. I will go to the king to correct him in his decision to kill all the Jews. And if he kills me in the process, he'll kill me. I'm going to go talk to him. And over a series of many nights and dinners and persuasion with her womanly persuasions, like how you know you women do, it's not fair. I love you, honey. Right? She persuades him not to kill the Jews. Saves the Jews. And the man that had persuaded the king to kill the Jews, he's the one that gets hung by his own noose that he created. Well, in the book of Esther, in the Bible... She is never called queen. She's called queen 14 times. She's never called queen until after she says, I will go to the king, and if I perish, I perish. Then, throughout the rest of the book, she's called queen. Why? It wasn't until she was willing to serve others in her career that she got the title she deserved. And here's what I'm going to say to you this morning. It's not until you figure out how to take your gifts and your callings and your abilities to serve others and see your job as a service to introduce God's character into a fallen world, because that's the Christian worldview. This world is fallen. I've got to figure out how do I introduce God's characteristics and his traits to my coworkers on the job with my skills and my talents. And so if I'm designing intersections, I'm bringing order to chaos, and that's what God does. Right? If I'm a cashier checking people out, am I honest and am I smiling and am I loving them despite what I'm going through? Because that's what Jesus did on the cross. And he did it for all of us. So this morning, here's what I want to encourage you to do. When you hear that sound, you know the sound, right? Just play that one more time so we know, you know, we don't, well, who said no? A lot, of, a lot of them said, no, okay, don't, don't do that. I don't want to make them. Uh-huh. All right, please shut that off. Hit, hit the snooze, hit the snooze. Turn it. Okay, stop that, Amy. But that's what we should do. When we hear that sound tomorrow morning, we should get up and say, you know what? I live in a fallen world, and God's called me with my skill set to introduce his characteristics into the world. And here's the awesome thing. I'm going to get a paycheck to introduce God to the world. Yes, that is your opportunity tomorrow. You should be salivating like my dog right now. Yes. Stand up. Stand up. Give God some praise. Stand up. Let's just give God some praise for the opportunity to introduce his characteristics to a fallen world and get paid for it. That's your approach to your job. That's your approach to your job. As we get ready and close out in song, I just want to say this, that this is, this is the book by Timothy Keller, Every Good Endeavor, that spurred this series. And I know one or two of you in here are reading this book right now. A lot of my points and a lot of things are coming out of this book. 
It is deep, but if you want to read it, be sure to get it. I'll have it out there as well. You can just take a picture of it. He is the, uh, he is the pastor at New, York, New York's Redeemer Presbyterian Church. He's also a professor of philosophy. So I'm just telling you, it gets deep philosophically, but it's good. And so I just want to encourage you to have that new attitude. Have that new attitude that tomorrow I get to introduce the characteristics of God on my job to a world that's fallen. Because I'm not, my worldview is not that this is it and I just got to get mine. My worldview is I'm a part of a bigger story that's being played out. And I get to do this for such a time as this to go and serve my fellow humans with my talents and abilities. Amen? Amen. Amen. If you're here this morning, you need prayer for anything. I want to ask Amy and Lynn to come down on this side. And if I can ask Steve and Bonnie to come down on this side. And we want to pray with you. Maybe you're just struggling at your job. Maybe it's just, job is just a struggle. Next week, we're going to talk about having a new power in our jobs. What's the new power in our jobs? How do we find power to get our job done, to, to drive and the will to get our jobs done? Today, it's your new approach. But as we sing, and you need prayer for anything, maybe it's your job, health, relationship, whatever it is, we want to pray with you and believe that God is going to change that situation. Amen? Amen.